Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Hey, welcome to week five of our series that we're calling Holy. You know, we've been on quite a journey over the past few weeks, uh, seeking to understand this word from the scriptures but also seeking to understand what does it mean to say that God is holy? And what does that mean for us? And so we began by learning that the word holy means unique and set apart. And this is such an appropriate word for God, unique and set apart. That God is this divine first cause, creator and sustainer of all of life in the universe. And so I would just want to say, like, may we consistently add our voices to the choir of the heavenly angels who proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, while at first, early on in the narrative, God's holiness was seen as dangerous and incompatible with human impurities. But then we discovered these two prophets that had incredible visions. Isaiah stood unclean in the temple when uh, a seraph, an angel, touched his lips with a coal from the altar of God, and it purified Isaiah. And then Ezekiel saw a river flowing out from the temple, bringing life to all that the river touched. Now, the meaning of these two visions wasn't originally clear until we meet a man named Jesus. And the meaning of Isaiah's vision was then clarified as Jesus came as the embodiment of this holy Uh, coal from the altar. He was the one who, during his life and ministry, was drawn to those people who were considered unclean, those who were marginalized, those who were seen as unfit to enter into God's holy presence. So he touched their bodies. He spoke good news into their lives. He offered radical forgiveness for sin. And so Jesus becomes this this embodiment of what it means for holiness to be uh, the purifying agent. And so what we learned last week is that holiness is no longer about separation, but now holiness is contagious, embracing, and joyous. But what about Ezekiel's vision? How can this vision of water flowing out of the temple anchor our understanding of holiness for today? Well, what we find is that the New Testament authors in some interesting ways pick up on this imagery and this vision from the prophet Ezekiel. And so let's first listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 14 through 22 of the New International Version. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Now, in the passage that we just heard, the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Ephesian church about the unity that can now be found between Jews and Gentiles because of Christ. One of the central theological questions that was facing the early church was whether those folks who were not part of ethnic Israel could be allowed and included as part of God's people. After all, Gentiles did not follow uh, the Jewish laws. They weren't familiar with their culture. They didn't have the same history. They had maybe lifestyles that seemed questionable at best uh, to those who were Jewish. And so Paul's clear argument in this passage, though, is that Christ has broken down the dividing wall and is now forming a new humanity that is defined by peace and reconciliation. So imagine these two groups, uh, Jews and Gentiles, kind of at odds. Gentiles seeing the worship of of God, being curious about it, being compelled by it, um, and yet having this unwelcome, uh, this uncertainty as to whether they could be part of what God was doing in and among the Jewish people. And then imagine Jewish people who grow up with this strong identity that we belong, we are God's chosen nation, we are God's people, and therefore wanting to kind of protect that by not allowing anyone else in. And so you have these two groups of people at odds with one another. And Paul's very clear message is that because of what Christ has done as the world's Messiah, not just Israel's Messiah, but as the world's Messiah has broke down these dividing walls, ended the hostilities between these two groups, and has now built a bridge of peace and reconciliation. So Paul's clear answer is yes, Gentiles can be welcomed as full members in the family of God. Now, clearly in today's context, there's not this big uh, debate about Jews and Gentiles and who, uh, if those two groups are welcomed in or not. So we're not in the same place, but we can take truth from this nonetheless to recognize that this should speak to us clearly and directly to say to us there is simply no room for racism or white supremacy in the kingdom of God. It should speak to us clearly about the church's position toward refugees and dreamers. In fact, I would submit to us that this is such a beautiful passage of unity in Christ. Christ as the one who tears down walls instead of building them, who tears down hostilities that tend to divide us, and then unites us as one new community. Now, here's a side note that that isn't in my notes this morning, but this is in fact what we practice when we come to the Lord's table. We practice unity at the foot of Christ. We don't come uh, having carried all the divisions that so easily separate us in, in our culture, but rather we come unified, professing Christ as Lord. And so the table practice of the the ritual, the habit of coming to the Lord's table every single week, even in these unique, unique days, is helping to form us as Christians who recognize 
one new humanity in Christ. Well, all of that, and then this passage out of Ephesians chapter 2 ends with Paul using the imagery of a building or a structure. And this is where we get to the imagery of the temple, picking up on Ezekiel's vision. Paul says that now that we are now members of a household of God and that this house is built upon a foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, these are the folks for whom or through whom God chose to begin to announce the good news of peace in Christ. And then the, this building, this structure has a cornerstone of who is, who is Christ, that he is the one who holds up all the others. But when you take this foundation and when you take this cornerstone and you put the pieces together, Paul says it grows and establishes a holy temple. Now remember, in the Old Testament, the temple was the epicenter of God's presence and is the center of life and culture for a Jewish person. The temple was the residence of God and as such was the place where heaven and earth intersected. And so Paul, along with other New Testament authors, draws upon the imagery of the temple, but then applies it to this new humanity that is being built and centered around Christ. And so what Paul essentially is saying is that God is now building a new temple, but this time not building it with brick and stone, but building it with people. Now, this should spark our imaginations. This should capture our hearts and minds. What Paul is saying here, by using the temple imagery and applying it to the community of Christ called the church, this new humanity, is that Paul is saying that the spirit of the living God now makes his home in us. That heaven and earth now intersect in us as we become new creations in Christ. And that now we encounter the presence of the living God, yes, through the Spirit, but also now in community with other people. That we can encounter the holy presence and the holy love of God by living in community with one another. Now, I know that doing this and living into these realities is difficult during these days where we find ourselves practicing physical separation, where we must kind of stay apart in order to keep one another safe. And yet, I want us to lean into the truth that we cannot do this alone, that we need one another, and that we can, in fact, experience the holy presence of God through the presence of other people. And so, I know that Zoom and Google Meet and Skype and FaceTime and all of these things are substitutions for being physically present and with one another. And yet I would encourage you, if you've not joined a life group or if you're on an, a life group email list and, and have kind of dropped out of the habit of attending, as best as you can, seek to connect with other members of the body of Christ. And I really think that you will find yourself encouraged and lift it up. Because part of what it means for the people of God to be the new temple that God is building is that we can experience God's presence through the presence 
of one another. Now, I have found this image to be so helpful to think about, particularly during this season, as we're not able to gather together. Because yes, we have our buildings, uh, but it is the collection of the people of God that are in fact the temple of God in the world. And this is the reality. This is, this is the reality upon which I draw that gives me confidence to continue to pray in faith that God would strengthen his church during this time. And so I invite you to join me in that prayer that God would not only strengthen the capital C church, his global body, but also that God would use these days and this season to strengthen our church, Emmaus Road Church. And so there's this important reality of, of, of the people of God being called the temple of God. And that's something that the New Testament authors are quick to pick up on, uh, this imagery of the temple and then applying it um, to the people of God. But I want you to listen then to what Jesus says about the people who put their trust in him. And this passage is out of John chapter 7. Today's reading is from John 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Now, I hope, is that, you heard, I hope that as you heard that passage, uh, that your minds actually went to Ezekiel's vision of living water flowing out of the temple. Because what Jesus does is he actually picks up on Ezekiel's vision and he says that those who now place their trust in him, and remember he's using really uh, strong imagery here. And so he says those who drink, that's a way of saying those who place their trust in him shall have rivers of living water flowing out of them. Now the implication of course is clear that holiness in our lives looks like First, being purified by the touch of Christ, but then having been purified, going out into the world to share the life-giving water of Jesus. And so I have to tell you, I'm drawn and I'm challenged by these questions. Do I see church, the collection of God's people and our role in the world? Do I see church primarily as a place where sinners must become pure in order to go to? Or do I see church as a community of people that go out to share the good news of God's justice and God's kingdom and God's peace? And I would invite us to begin to see the role of the church as a life-giving river that flows out into creation to bring hope, healing, and love to a world in despair, brokenness, and filled with hate. Now, last week I referenced uh, the book Holiness in the Gospels by Kent Brower, and I want to return again to one of his key uh, concepts. Uh, in his chapter where he's working from the Gospel of John, Kent, author Kent Brower has this to say, 
He says the sanctification of the disciples has a threefold purpose. To enable them to enter into and live in that relationship with God to which we're called uh, and to which we were intended from the beginning. To make them one uh, with uh, one another in love and then to enable them to act as agents of that reconciliation in the world. So this holiness that, that we are invited to participate in has a threefold purpose. The first is to allow us to enter into proper relationship with God for which we were intended from the very beginning. Then to demonstrate love and reconciliation among one another so that we might go out into the world as agents of that reconciliation. And I know you've caught on to this, but there's here, there's a clear progression that first we are purified by God by placing our trust in Him, that He does the work of transformation. Our part is opening ourselves up to God. But then having placed our trust in God, we are then made part of a community of people. We're invited to be part of this, this building, this community, this structure. And in this community, we must learn to love well, for these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I've gotten used to talking to a camera, but it is simply not the same as, as being with one another and being face to face. And chances are you've gotten used to worshiping at home, maybe even certain advantages, right? Uh, maybe you feel like you're able to uh, go about the house, do some baking, have the relaxed uh, worship environment right there in your home. There's certainly some things that you may be enjoying about the worship setup in these days. But don't be tricked. These virtual gatherings are no substitution for life in the community of Christ. Because one of the largest advantages and simultaneously one of the largest challenges of being part of a local body, being part of a church, is that I am invited into and brought into relationship with people for whom I may not naturally be in relationship with. And so I'm challenged. I'm, I'm, I'm challenged to work out what it means to love well, to live at peace with one another, to live with practices of reconciliation when there's conflict. And the church gives us an opportunity to practice those things in a way that we would never have if we just worship in this way. Now, of course, once we begin meeting in person and we're gonna share plans for that very soon. But one of the things is that we simply uh, miss out on the opportunity to do that if all we ever do is worship at home. Now, of course, we recognize that in this season uh, of pandemic, there are people that need to stay home and choose to stay home. We honor all of that. And we look forward to and we long for the day when we can all gather safely. Um, but for now, as we participate in, even as we enjoy these virtual gatherings, Let's not, lose fact, let's not lose sight of the fact that we are called into community with one another to learn to love well. Well, I said all of that. That was the second part of the, of the progression. The third part then is having learned to love well and live in reconciliation with one another, we are then set loose in the world to proclaim that same peace and reconciliation in Christ to the world. And so this is holiness. Not isolation, 
not separation, but engagement, love, reconciliation, justice. In fact, we might even be able to say it this way. Christian holiness is a social phenomenon, not an individual one. Which is to say that we, we might be tempted to think that we can participate in Christian holiness just and kind of stop at what God does in my own heart to bring purity to my life. But Christian holiness, a fully embodied holiness, must also then be worked out in community with other people and must also reach out into the world just as the river from Ezekiel's vision. That coming out of the temple of God is a community of people that are a river of life. And so my question is, where are you today? Are you in a place of needing to open yourself up to the holy love of God? Do you need to learn how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ well? Are you challenged by the Spirit of God to go and to proclaim the peace of Christ, the rule of Christ, Christ's kingdom in the world? Where are you at? Where am I at? I can tell you that in my experience, while these, this progression is maybe easily communicated and talked about, the reality is, is that there's, it's not as clear as three easy steps. I've I, I found that it's more a continuum of learning to grow in each area, learning to open myself up more and more to God's holy love, learning to love the body of Christ in all of its expressions, and then learning more and more that Jesus' teachings and ideas weren't just for our individual lives, but he had some real ideas on how to organize our shared life together. And that following these ideas is what it means to call Jesus Lord. And so whether on this continuum, maybe it's not three kind of clean and, and distinct steps, but on this continuum of thinking about these three things, my relationship and openness to God, my ability to love well brothers and sisters in Christ, and then my compassion, uh, outward compassion toward the world. What do these things look like on this continuum? And what, where is the space for the Holy Spirit to work in my life and in your life? And may we, may, actually may God's Holy Spirit speak to us and show us next steps of how we all might grow in the holiness of God.